reached the uh, point in our service where we turn now to scripture, to our sermon. My name's Lydia and the curate here at St Dinah's. And today we are going to continue our look at the book of Daniel. Over the previous couple of weeks, Tim, who is our vicar, um, initially uh, introduced the book of Daniel to us, some of its themes and its structure. And then last week, he looked at the whole concept of yearning, yearning that we find in Daniel. And today we are going to turn our attention to the theme of repentance, repentance, which we find in the book, which we find throughout scripture but in a particularly significant fashion in the book of Daniel, as Daniel teases out what repentance is in terms of standing in the gap for our nation and for our world right now. And how timely is that? Just as we see Daniel standing in the gap for the nation of Israel, all those many hundreds, thousands of years ago, So we find ourselves as Christians, as the church, in a time right now where we are called to stand in the gap, to look forwards and upwards, to call our nation back to God, to rend the heavens for God's good purpose in our world right now. So let's pray as we begin to journey through this whole concept of repentance and look at various characters and events in the book of Daniel. And Father, we thank you for the person of Daniel, upright and certain before you, a man of repentance and prayer. And as we turn to your ancient scriptures now, and the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, we know that these words are eternally relevant So would you enliven our hearts now to receive all you have for us today. Amen. Amen. Now I don't know what you think about if and when you hear the word repentance. What goes on in your mind's eye? What images are conjured up? Repentance. Do you think of something a bit like this? A kind of medieval scene where there's a bit of sort of personal flagellation, where there's a lot of kind of harsh level repentance, a sense of I am a worm, those sorts of things. Or do you think of a scene, a picture? Do you find yourself remembering a moment a bit like this? where you, where we've come before the Lord. We've been honest about our shortcomings, or the things that have gone wrong. We've plugged into that eternal conversation with him that is prayer. We have repented on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of the world around us. And we have allowed him to cultivate our hearts, to change us, to restore us, to redeem us. Because it's that second picture of the personal wrestle before the Lord which draws you 
into a confession of sin, but then draws you out of that to a knowledge of who you are and your calling to stand in the gap, to pray, yes, for yourself, but actually for others, for the world, for the place that the Lord has put you in, call for a time such as this. True repentance. goes back to that theme of yearning that Tim talked about last week in many ways. It's undoing the idols. It's laying down the things that cause you to worship anything that is not God and the things that cause you to choose yourself over others. Then actually we may be people who love the Lord our God with all our hearts, mind and soul and who love our neighbour as ourselves. And then we might be people who move swiftly beyond that to recognise the fallenness of our world, to repent on behalf of our nation, of the world right now, to say, actually, I see this is where we've got it wrong. And Lord, redeem it, redeem it, change it. To say to the Lord, this is your good world that you looked upon, loved, created, that you're eternally working in. Lord, I know who you are. Restore our world right now. We become those who are the hands and feet of Jesus and who stand in the gap in repentance and rest and call down the multifaceted nature of Jesus' salvation and redemption in the world right now. So that's a journey we're going to take today. We're going to look at a few characters in Daniel, a few stories, and then we're going to be led to the upper room and consider what God is calling us to, how we can stand in the gap right now. And our first character today is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, that uh, man of the golden statue and the fiery furnace who engaged Daniel as a sort of civil servant and interpreter of dreams. So if you've got a Bible, please do open it and turn to chapter four of the book of Daniel. Chapter four of the book of Daniel. And just as you're finding that, um, let's re-anchor ourselves for a moment. We find ourselves in the 6th century BC, and this is the early part of Daniel's kind of ministry, as it were, of his exile. This is the first king that he will work with, King Nebuchadnezzar. And in chapters 1 to 3, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has been given ample opportunity to repent of his wicked ways, to take his eyes off himself and look up to the one true God, and to be a king of justice to uh, not be about personal wealth, but to look after the nation of Babylon, the empire that he is in charge of. And chapters one to three, there's a few moments where he recognises who God is. 
after the fiery furnace and the rescue of uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego by God, Nebuchadnezzar has a kind of light bulb moment and he worships the Lord for a little while. And then he goes back to his um, wicked ways. He notices in Daniel and Daniel's wisdom that is given to him by God that there is something significant going on. He has moments where he recognises who God is through Daniel's revelation, through Daniel's ministry. However, he doesn't significantly change. And so in chapter 4, we see recorded the final years of his reign. And again, God calls him to himself. And it takes an incredibly significant incident for Nebuchadnezzar to repent and to recognise who God is and in his repentance to stand in the gap in a way for his nation. So chapter four, we won't read all of it today, but just notice chapter four, verse four, and it says here, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, contented and prosperous. He's doing really well. But yeah, in a moment we'll see that things aren't quite right. And these words themselves really challenge me. There have certainly been many moments in my life where I thought, gosh, I am contented and prosperous. And it's not that God doesn't want to bring us joy. And it's not that God doesn't bless us with good things and rejoice with us. But that can be a dangerous place too. It's a place where I certainly take my eyes off God and I take my eyes off other people and creation. And so in that place, a place like right now for our nation, we find that things sometimes shake. And God works in the shakiness to draw us back to his kingdom purposes. And so what happens in chapter 4 is that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he has a dream of a great and grand tree. And then a man, probably an angel of the Lord. God comes and cuts down that tree. And Daniel is able to interpret the dream and to say to Nebuchadnezzar, actually that tree is you. But, moving to verse 27, chapter 4, verse 27, there is a way out for Nebuchadnezzar not to be cut down. And so Daniel challenges him, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. But Nebuchadnezzar ignores this advice of Daniel. And so the Lord, after many opportunities for Nebuchadnezzar to repent and to lead well, the Lord humbles Nebuchadnezzar. And he's driven mad. And he's driven out of his grand and glorious palace and leadership of his nation. 
and he goes and lives with the wild animals for seven years in complete insanity and poverty and he is dismissed by his nation. But then, after seven years, the Lord returns to Nebuchadnezzar and he restores his sanity and his physical and emotional and spiritual well-being. And finally, in that moment of restoration, comes Nebuchadnezzar's repentance. And the repentance leads him to raise his eyes towards heaven, verse 34, and then to call his nation to repentance as the king to stand in a gap and for a moment at least to move Babylon to praise God. And so verse 34, the latter part, and verse 35. Nebuchadnezzar declares of God, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? As Nebuchadnezzar repents, and because of his position as king, calls his nation just for that moment to, in a way, acknowledge God. He is restored. In repentance, he finds restoration. And his position means he stands in the gap for his nation. And Nebuchadnezzar goes well for a few more years until we think he dies of natural causes. And then we have a brief interlude of King Belshazzar, who um, doesn't do very well at all. Um, we have the whole writing on the wall episode. But we'll pause there for a moment. Gaze over chapter four for a second. When you've got some time in a little while, maybe read it through properly. And what do you learn from Nebuchadnezzar's encounter? his life story. This journey of contentment and prosperity to humility, to restoration and repentance. And we'll pick up the story in a moment as we look at King Darius and Daniel. And so our next stop now is with Daniel and King Darius. So if you want to flick over in your Bibles to chapter 6 and also chapter 9, maybe keep a thumb in one of those. And we're just going to take a few moments to consider what is going on in this section of the story. And Darius is the third king that Daniel serves under. By this time, both are old men and... Um, Darius takes the throne when he's 62 years of age. And Daniel, as Tim was saying um, last week, is probably in his 80s. But Darius is a man of more noble character than his predecessors, it would seem. He treats Daniel well. And by the end, he is highly God-fearing. And what happens at the beginning of Darius's reign? is that some of the other chief advisors, the civil servants, they are jealous of Daniel and his wisdom. 
And so they trick Darius. They get him to proclaim an edict which says that no one can pray for a month to a god or human being that is not King Darius. And we of course know by now that Daniel is a man of fervent prayer. But he will only pray, repent before, worship God himself. And so Daniel is forced to quietly walk against this edict. And we find him in chapter 6, verse 10, beginning that journey. Chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree, the edict, had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, to his God, just as he had done before. And what does he pray? What does he pray? Well, if we flip over to chapter 9, it's in chapter 9 that we see a model for prayer and for repentance, for standing in the gap. Because actually Daniel is not praying for himself, for his own personal needs or personal salvation. He's not saying, God, get me out of here. This is getting too hard. No, he is spending his time standing in the gap, praying for his nation, repenting on behalf of Israel, who also again and again have turned against God and who have been an unjust people. That's how they ended up in exile in the first place. And so let's look at this prayer of Daniel's. Chapter 9. Verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonians, kingdom of Babylon. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. There is the why in those first verses. There is the why. Actually, I am praying, Lord, for my nation. I am coming in repentance for my nation. So we begin with the why. And then we move in verse 4 to the worship. Daniel worships God, verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The worship is there. Lord, you are great and awesome. And then Daniel moves on in verses 5 to 14 to dig into confession, to dig into repentance, 
through the confession of Israel's sin. And so he prays, verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed from your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Right there. Confession. Complete confession. Standing in the gap, being honest with God about what has gone on for Israel, that they haven't obeyed him, that they haven't come and confessed their sins, that he didn't change their behaviour. Right there, confession and worship. Daniel stands in the gap. And so we've had the why. We've had worship. We've had confession. As a model prayer for repentance, for standing in the gap, for those beyond yourself. And now we come to the point of what Daniel wants, what he really, really wants, as Tim said last week. And this is what Daniel wants, verse 15 to 19. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Israel, out of Egypt even, I'm so sorry there, with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant, for your sake, Lord, look with favour 
on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. He stands in the gap for Israel, and he cries out to the Lord, and he is honest, and he says to God, this is what I want, this is what we want. Restore us, remember us, change us. We repent, and in repentance, we are sure of your eternal promises. And what happens here? Well, actually, as we turn back to chapter 6, we see two glorious realities. Daniel is found out for the fact that he's in the upper room praying these prayers to the Lord God, not praying to Darius. And so he's thrown into the lion's den. And then, of course, God closes the mouth of the lion's. And Daniel is rescued. And so the first thing that happens is that because Daniel chose his nation over prayers for himself, Darius calls all Babylon, all of the world, to God himself. Chapter 6, verse 26. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom... People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. The whole world is called to know God. And then, verse 28, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And Cyrus was the last king that Daniel served under. And it's in the reign of Cyrus, very early on in the reign, that actually Daniel's prayer, his standing in the gap, is answered. And Israel returned from exile, back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. So where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us with enormous and brilliant and perfectly doable challenge from Daniel. That actually we too go to the upper room. And that's where we're going to head now as we bring this to a close, as we come in to land. And so, as we come into land now, we've come to our point of challenge. And the first challenge today is, where is your upper room? Where is your upper room? Where is your place of prayer? Your place of, this is my time with God. This is my time of repentance. This is my place where I stand in the gap. 
and it's going to look really different for each of us. Um, this is my upper room here. It's just a window seat in my flat. Um, it looks out onto the New Kings Road. So I try to spend a bit of time praying for people as they pass, standing in the gap for them. This is where I have my quiet times, where I read scripture, where I pray to the Lord. For others of us, our upper room might be when we're going for a walk, socially distant at the moment, of course. As we turn to scripture, we see that the upper room is a constant theme, but it's different for different people in different times. Jesus's upper room was withdrawing to a quiet place. Peter was found in Acts on the roof of a house encountering God. For a time, Paul and Silas's upper room was a prison cell. Our upper rooms move with us, but we need to mark out time and space to be with God to come in prayer and repentance, to be as Daniel was and to stand in the gap. When I worked in Manchester a few years ago, um, I had one young lady who um, came to faith in the most radical way. Um, and she developed a deep hunger for scripture and for prayer and petition. But she lived in a house that was kind of busy and noisy and it was hard to find physical and um, just sort of quiet space. So she found her upper room to be under a tree near her house. And she would spend time there with the Lord, praying for the world, reading scripture, communing with him, repenting, wrestling with the Lord, bending into that eternal conversation. So where is your upper room? Where is your place of quiet and of wrestle and of repentance and of prayer with the Lord, just like Daniel? And secondly, how are you standing in the gap when you get to that upper room place, that place of repentance, physically, emotionally, spiritually, how are you standing in the gap? What is going on in your prayer life, in your life of repentance and redemption, of the eternal conversation that we have with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Because just as Daniel stood in the gap for his world, and there were brilliant, wonderful, enormous eternal consequences in that moment, in that moment, Darius's heart was stirred to draw the whole world to God. And from Daniel's prayers, and I'm sure the prayers of others, Israel was able to return to the land. The last time our nation went to the upper room was in May 1940. And King George VI, called the whole nation to prayer. It was a moment of Dunkirk, the moment where it looked like World War II was going to be lost to the appalling reality of the Nazi regime. And our nation prayed, and the church and Christians led the way. And a miracle occurred. The war did not end in that moment, but the tide was turned, and the British army returned home in the May. and that atrocious reality of Nazism 
did not take a permanent hold on human history. And we have the same faith and the same reality in our relationship with the living God. And it's not World War I or World War II right now, but we are in a pandemic and things are shaky. And God is working in the shaking and he is stirring his church to stand in the gap, to repent of our idols as a nation, to ask for healing, physical, emotional, spiritual, to say to the Lord, we do not want to go back. We don't want to return to normal. There is nothing in scripture, there is nothing in human history. There is nothing in the heart of God that turns us back. The Lord is always propelling us forward. And he asks that his church, his people, those who know and love his name, will be those who stand in the gap, who prophetically point forward, say there is a different way, and call down his restoration and his redemption to the world that he loves. And we do that initially especially in a time like this where it's more difficult to gather corporately. We do that in the quiet place, in the place of repentance and prayer and petition, of confession, of worship, and of saying to the Lord, this is what I want, what I really, really want. We stand in the gap. And we turn our hearts outwards. So as we've landed now, Where's your upper room? And how are you standing in the gap? Amen. Oh,